0: We're in a sermon series, um, and uh, we are calling it Unbalanced. We're discussing, talking about the ways in which uh, we are, some of us anyway, perhaps unbalanced. And uh, (laughs) that is my first line. As as we sort of open up, I was thinking about um, where to go and how to talk this morning. One of the things that surprised me, I came across this news study uh, that had teen suicide rates up uh, at its highest level, like raising almost 13% um, higher uh, ...than it's been in the past two decades. Uh, we're facing... ...America's facing kind of like the largest... ...one of the largest drug epine- epidemics... They've, they, ...that we have experienced... ...in a very long time. Uh, mass shootings are up to the point... ...in which we actually have had... ...more mass shootings this year... ...than our days in the year. So these are different issues... ...different problems... ...different things... ...have different causes... ...different symptoms... ...different results... But they, they at least point to the fact that there's something kind of unhealthy about us. And you know what's interesting about that unhealth that is there that we can see uh, is that we've never been in a more positive age. Like we are constantly fed positive thoughts, positive reinforcement. We're constantly encouraged to, to seek our heart, to seek our happiness, to find our true self, to find our true lives. I mean, we're always being pushed in this direction we're sex potty potty sex positive we're body positive we're gender fluid we're busy trying to make everyone feel better about themselves all the time wherever you are whoever you are whatever you're doing it's fine, and yet we seem to be very not fine right very not fine and so what's 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 happening here what what's the result what's the what's What's some of the core? I I, I read. I was reading uh, uh, this uh, a book this week, and it was suggesting that one of the problems is that we no longer communicate kind of deep truths to people as they grow up. As they grow up, we put them in soccer, and we give them awards, or we don't. However, it goes, and you know, you get them to school, and then you send them off to college. We have these. Where in life do we meet and have encounters with? The real truth about life, because I've encountered, maybe many of you have, encountered people who don't seem to really understand the world as it actually is. In fact, we can distract ourselves so readily and so easily, so completely, you never actually have to face life as it really is. And this author suggested that in pre-modern times that, that peoples had a way of bringing up children into adolescence and into adulthood, and they were able to communicate deep truths to these, to these kids so that as they entered into life, they will have faced the difficult things about life. And that these initiation experiences that we experience, for instance, in the Christian life in baptism and growing up in that way, but you experience a lot of truth in some of these truths that we have not been facing and we need to face and so for instance, uh, the truth that life is hard, it will not be easy. Every child, as soon as late, I do this with my kids all the time, right? You have to let them life is hard. You are not important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. And let me tack onto that. You absolutely, 100%, never, ever, 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 ever will be. And lastly, and most positively, you are going to die. That feels like a lot of negativity. Welcome to church, <laughs> right? It feels like I'm about to drop some fire and brim. But is anything here not true? I mean, I understand that, that uh, this strikes against some of our modern sensibilities, but if you really dig into each one of these statements, you will find that there is a core and complete truth there. So that then creates this kind of, well, if this is all true, then, then why does it feel negative? Because truth cannot be negative, right? Truth has to be positive. It's real, it's true, and once you come to grips with it, life can be better. And yet this feels like a stream of negativity. Why? Because we have so thoroughly insulated ourselves from what life is really like. We've so protected both ourselves and our young and everyone around, we've become so distracted and so busy that we actually have stopped confronting the world as it is. And this spells doom for society as a whole, which I'm not nearly as concerned about as I am concerned about the church. Because I think the same thing is happening in our churches. We have to confront These truths. In fact, every single one of these I could find a Bible verse for, couldn't I? Life is hard. There's plenty of Bible verses for that. You are not important. Who is important? Immediately, I learned as a child, God is important and the church is important, and then I come somewhere along after that, right? What happens when I take and I put myself in front of any of these things? Don't we immediately create idolatry? Immediately, it's the idol of Jordan. Jordan's life shouldn't be hard. Jordan is important. Jordan is, like, the whole world revolves around him. He is in control, and, you know, with enough uh, creams and stuff, at least he won't look like he's going to die, right? We've actually inverted all of these truths, and we've swallowed them up rather than facing what it is. And one of the things that is beautiful about Scripture is that Scripture is outside of us in a very real way. So when we enter into Scripture, it's like entering into another time, another place, and another world. And so sometimes Scripture shakes us up because it allows us to sort of step outside of ourselves and enter into a different kind of story. And by stepping outside of ourselves and entering a different kind of story, we can see how God is working in that story, and then we can kind of maybe place ourselves ...into those truths and into that story. Because what happens when we deny the truth of the things that are negative inside of us... ...the, the feelings and experiences that we have in, in, in and of ourselves or because of life... ...it creates this classic image. And this is what we've been using. We have a lot of stuff that we can see. But there is so much more that is happening. You don't just get angry for no reason. right? You don't hit your kids for no reason. You don't get frustrated for no reason... Right? But instead of facing up to the things that are very difficult in life, one of the things that we've begun to do because we can do it so easily is forget that negative emotion or experience and now focus on Netflix, right? Or a drink, or call a friend, or pick up a video game, or you know, what, pick up a book, or turn on the news, or, or, or whatever. I mean, we have endless streams of distractions. And so we never have to dig in and ask those questions of, all right, why? We never have to face those truths. One of the things I find very interesting about um, about this passage in John chapter eleven. You want to grab your Bibles. We'll be in John chapter eleven today. If you didn't bring a Bible, just uh, this is exactly like the pew in front of you. You can follow along right with me. I'm going to be on page 897. It's a classic story. It's a story that if you kind of went to Sunday school at all, maybe you've already heard it before. Uh, it's a story of Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And I'm not going to read all the text. I want to encourage you to read it all at home. We're going to look at a couple of different places because it's just kind of big. And so for time's sake, uh, we'll look at a few places. But the story opens up with meeting Jesus, who we've already met, and meeting Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Um, And immediately we find out that uh, in verse 2, or sorry, verse 3, these sisters... Um, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus. And this is their word, they say in verse 3. Lord, he whom you love is ill. One of the things we're used to experiencing when we think about Jesus is that Jesus loves everybody, right? (laughs) Or that Jesus is love, maybe even. But remember also that Jesus was a man, a human, just like you some of you, anyway. Uh, human, just like all of us mentally. Uh, but the, the point is to say that, that um, Jesus had friends. He had people that he wanted to spend time with. And these were his friends he wanted to send, spend time with them. And these were friends that Jesus had spent enough time with that they knew Jesus' power. They had believed. They were followers of Jesus. They believed in his message. They put him up in their house. It is very likely that Lazarus helped fund the missions that Jesus was doing as he went from place to place. Right? They, there is something that is deep here. And so when you see this message from the sisters, hey, The one you love, I want you to take that and make that your best friend. I don't know who that is. But whoever it is that if you got a phone call that said, this person is sick, you would hop the next plane to go and be with them. All right? That's what we're talking about here. And remember with me that being ill, like a common cold could kill you. Right? In the ancient world. So, like, you might pick up the phone and be like, Well, have you gone to see a doctor? Right? Do I really need to, need to take this plane ride? Like, for them, the one you love is ill is like, This guy has a cold and he's gonna die. You need to get here, Jesus. Your best friend is sick. And Jesus answers very coolly in verse four. He says, This illness does not end or lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then Jesus sits. And he doesn't just sit for an hour or an evening. He sits not for one day, but for two. For two whole days, Jesus stays where he is. Now put yourself in your best friend's place with your two sisters, right, For two days, how many times do you think Mary leaned over to Martha and said, when's Jesus going to get here? How many times did Martha think, why is Jesus not here? How many times did Lazarus, who is laying on his bed in pain, pain that is apparently probably enough to kill him because he dies after a few days, he is dead, that pain is existing. How many times did Lazarus, holding himself, pray to God, God, get Jesus here Faster. And what is God doing? What's God doing? He's waiting. He is just waiting. He has sat. Now, this is what I, I love next. Look at verses uh, 7 and 8. Right? So what happens after two days? After two days, Jesus, I just sort of see him sitting on a rock, I imagine this, and he just slaps his legs, stands up, says, All right, time to go. Right? And the disciples are horrified because they just had an experience just a few days before, and they're like, Wait, Bethany is where Lazarus and Mary and Martha are. That's two miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where we were just almost killed, Jesus! Do you remember that? I don't know how much you guys know about dying um, by being stoned to death. But if you get to pick how you die, don't pick that one. Right? Well, What, is, what, what, what do they say? They say, Jesus, like, if you go in, they're going to try to crush your head with a big rock. They were just doing that. And there are police forces. There's no 911. There's no one to call. If a mob catches you and they want to smash your head in, Jesus, they're going to smash your head in. Do you really want to go there? Now, remember with me for a second, too, that Jesus is also a human being. He is a man, which means that he also experiences fear. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he experience? Fear. Why? Because everyone's afraid to die, even Jesus, right? Like, there's this experience where, where you can imagine that kind of being in him. Like, I'm going to go and confront this and he does. In fact, what's funny is how he responds. Look at how he responds. The, these, these disciples are standing around him. Jesus slaps his leg, time to go, everybody. And they're sitting around like, didn't we just almost die, Jesus? Didn't you just almost get killed? And Jesus says this You know, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, verse nine does he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, but if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That might have been the worst answer that i've ever read. What does that even mean like you like just imagine put yourself in the disciples experience for a moment. Jesus tells them that they're going to be standing around, are we, wait. Uh, this changes the subject, doesn't it? Like we were talking about death just a second ago, and now we're talking about. Jesus is trying to help them, though. You see that? He says, You know, I, I'm, the, I'm the light. You're walking with me. If I wasn't here, you'd be walking in darkness, but here I am. You're walking with me. It's okay. And yet they can't pick up on that, can they? They're so deep in their panic. They're so deep in their fear. They can't can't work their way out of that to hear Jesus and understand because they continue in their confusion. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to awaken him. Clearly he wasn't getting his point across. He had to clarify just a bit. The disciples said to, him, said to him, well, if he's falling asleep, he'll wake up. We don't need to take this trip after all. Because again, do you remember stoning, death, people don't like you, right? And then Jesus says, oh, well, all right, all right. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad. That's a thing to say about your BFF, isn't it? For your sake, I'm glad. Why? So that... Uh, I'm glad that I was not there, um, so that you may believe, he says. So this is all Jesus moving forward, uh, allowing them to sit in this place of uncomfortable suffering. And, and as we move into the story, the rest of the story, so we'll look at these two next sections, verses 17 through 27, is Jesus encou- encountering Martha. And then the next section, Jesus encounters Mary. And I want you to see how he does the same thing to both of them. Notice verses um, Verse 21, so we'll jump down. Jesus goes and he he, he gets to the Bethany area and he moves toward the house where the people are mourning and Martha hears that the Lord is on the way and so she goes out to meet him. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds like a knife wound. And then a little twist at the end. Where were you, Jesus? I love her faith, though. Look at verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. So Jesus leans in and he hints at her. He says, your brother will rise again. And she answers back, yes, I know, there's a resurrection day. I know God will fix everything. I know he, she, she sloughs it off to the future. And Jesus says, I'm standing in front of you. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Believe in me. And she says, I do believe in you. But she can't, she can't close the gap. She can't close the distance between... Jesus being there, the resurrection and the life, and her dead brother, she cannot think Jesus can now do the impossible. Because no matter what, even seeing Jesus, her mind is locked into a box of what can be done and can't be done. Maybe that's a lesson here, that whatever box we have locked God into, in terms of what can be done, God can think bigger than you can. That whatever you expect to happen, God can do something else. Because even as Jesus, the one who has done all kinds of incredible things, stands in front of her and says, I am resurrection, she never thinks to say, Jesus, raise my brother. Then raise my brother. And yet you could see all of this happening. Jesus goes in toward the house. He's moving toward the house. And and Mary hears word now that, that Jesus has come. And she goes out and everyone in the house supposes that she's going out to the grave to mourn. But she's really going out to meet Jesus. And this has to hurt. This has to hurt. If you can imagine the younger sister of your best friend, who you also care about, right? That she sat at your feet. Like, she was learning from Jesus. In fact, I love, like, this, that's that fantastic story. Like, Mary says, nah, I don't believe in woman's work. I want to learn from Jesus. So she left the kitchen, and she sat at Jesus' feet, and Jesus just lets it all happen. He's just like, oh, man, he loves driving. And so this is the person. He loves Mary. And what does Mary do? She comes to him, and she says exactly what her sister said. If you had been here, Jesus... Lazarus would not have died. But she doesn't follow it up with faith. She just leaves it. And it doesn't say Jesus' feelings were hurt. But I'm just sort of standing here thinking about what it would be like for Naomi, who is the wife of my best friend, one of my best friends, Danny, saying to me, you had medicine in your pocket. You could have been here two days ago and Danny would not be dead. I just think that would bother me. And I think that I would say, like, listen, I've got a magic serum in my back pocket right now. I'm going to stab him with it. He's coming right back to life. Isn't it interesting? At no point does Jesus just stop the whole charade, stop it all, and say, listen, everybody, cool your jets. Let's go to the tomb. I've got this under control. He stays with the disciples. And he just lets them sit with it. And then he says, let's take a walk toward doom. And they say, that's a bad idea. Well, let's sit with it. He takes another walk. And he runs into Martha. And Martha says, where were you? And Jesus says, I'm resurrection and life. And he lets her sit with it. He takes another step moving towards Lazarus. And there he meets Mary, this woman who's, who's like an exemplar of faith and trust she was at Jesus' feet when it was the place that she was not supposed to be. She had more faith than anyone in that room. And she says, where were you, Jesus? And he lets her sit with it. And he moves a little closer. Then we move toward the end of the story. Uh, in verse 33, we're kind of towards the tomb now. and Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping. And the Jews who had come with her and they're weeping and jesus is deeply moved this word uh, is kind of buried in it it's a word that it can mean either good or bad but it means something so intensely deep that it's either really bad or really good does that make sense like he is moved to his core and then what do we get The shortest verse in the Bible. How many of you were taught that in Sunday school? The easy one, you got like one point for it. (laughs) You did that kind of thing back in the day. Jesus wept. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't pull up a chair and sit down and explain? Jesus didn't critique them for their lack of faith. He didn't rebuke them for their, their painful tears. He didn't fix them and try to solve the problem. He didn't say anything at all. He wept with them. It's an interesting thing how, how quick we are to sort of try to fix problems and give solutions and comfort people. Oftentimes when we find ourselves trying to fix those those things that are happening, maybe you run into somebody, maybe somebody in your life is really wrestling with something painful, much like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples and this thing. Our, our knee-jerk reaction, if we're probably Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, is to find some solution right now to sort of bury that, that, that negative feelings or those emotions, to pretend like they're not there. And what Jesus does is he rejects that completely and he embraces it and he moves it and he allows the disciples to embrace it and move through it. And he doesn't do what so many of us are tempted to do because so many of us are tempted to sort of bring that person and make them happy again. Aren't we all supposed to be happy? Aren't we all supposed to be happy? Why does Jesus do this? He does this because way back at the beginning in verse 4, he said, This is so that you can know. So that you can see the glory of God. And so that I can be glorified through it. Because here I am saying, I'm the resurrection of the life. I'm the resurrection of the life. I'm the resurrection of the life. And we got a dead body in our hands and no one said, hey, how about you fix it? Right? Because when we're stuck in that pain, we're stuck in their emotions, we're stuck in that place where we are is the, the, the place we're at where we're always we so ground down that we have a hard time finding faith. But one of the things about being ground down underneath uh, those painful experiences is that it allows us to come back to these truths. And what these truths fundamentally do Is they begin to bring us back toward God. Because the answer to every single one of these is the love of God, and the grace of God, and the power of God, and the resurrection of the Son, and the ascension of the Son, and the second coming of the Son. All of this drives us back. That once we understand that, and once we allow ourselves to experience it, we are able to move toward a healthier place. And Jesus represents that to us. He shows us here by not fixing the problem, but allowing it to go on so that through it, these people, including his closest friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, could grow up into the fullness of Christ. And so this is why these things are so important. This is why it matters so much. This is why we need to dig into these true things It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it, Jesus says. Why do we need to sit with, share, and not cover over experiences that are deep and negative, emotions that are painful and problematic, is because if we don't sit with the suffering, we won't ever grow. Paul puts it this way, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces patience. Patience produces character. Character produces hope, and hope doesn't let us down. Hope can live through everything. Hope can live through everything. But until you put that hope to the test, you'll never know what it can live through. And so God allows these things to happen in our lives and come into our lives so that he can be glorified through it. When you are experiencing pain or sadness or hurt, what I want you to do is to not ignore it, not to cover over it, not to pretend like it's fine, but to say, here is something God has allowed so that I can display his glory, because he wants to bring me through all of that and out of it. One of the most memorable lines ever preached here was by Paulie P. We call him that sometimes. I don't know why. Uh, he was talking several months back, maybe six months back, I don't remember when it was, uh, but he was talking about how, how he was struck by Jesus and, and, uh, or Moses in the Red Sea, and he talked about how God brought them through the waters. He didn't bring them out of the waters. Right? God takes us through the storm. He doesn't calm the storm, remove us from the storm. He allows the storm to continue to be around us, to, to be crazy, to be struggling, and yet he pushes us, through it in his grace and in his power and in his ability so that we might have exactly what I just said. We might have the kind of hope that we're talking about here because because that hope is the thing that continues to push us forward and to lead us on. It's the, the thing that will get us through those times of difficulty. And it's those opportunities that allow us to grow as a church together too. Because if we refuse to push aside those things, and we, we, we live into what Jesus is doing here, what we're able to do is to walk with one another, much like Jesus walked with his friends as they suffered. Because you remember, again, Job's story, right? What was Job's friend's problem? What was their problem? They wouldn't shut up. They wouldn't just sit And let it be. They had to solve the problem. They had to figure it out. They had to know the mind of God, then tell Job what's happening. Right? We are all like that. We all have the impulse, right? Because they want Job to get better. They want Job to be healed. They want Job to be happy. He's a real downer right now. We need to get him up again. We need to explain to him what he did wrong so he can fix it and get his life right with the Lord. How many of you ever thought that about Somebody? And what does God do? He steps in and says, I know that there were four people standing around you telling you how wrong you were, but you're actually right. And everybody standing around you assumed the wrong kind of things. What they really should have done is they should have cried with you. They should have wept with you. And they should have sat with you. And they should have let you vent. And they should have let you say, You know, this isn't fair. And I'm hurt. And I miss my kids. And I miss my wife. And things are really terrible. And I don't know what to do about it. And they should have said, We don't know either. Let's pray and cry and wait for God to do something. Because God does something. Do you remember the end of that book? God does something. If we had the patience to sit with it, if we had the patience to just be with it, if we had the patience to love one another through it, we could have that experience of saying, wow, look at how God works. He moves us through the waters, through the storm, and he brings us up on higher ground. I thought we were going to die, but Jesus rescued us and every single Christian in this room were we honest and truthful and really dug in our past say there are plenty of times where I see God doing that and what I want you to do is to remember that the next time those emotions come for you or the next time somebody says man I'm having a hard time maybe don't cheer them up maybe say why and let them vent it out And sit with these things because God wants to do incredible things for his own glory. And for his own glory, he has chosen to make you a light. That's really cool. We should be really grateful to God. We should be willing to go through the storms and the waters of life because we know that not only is God seeing us through, but so are all the Christians around us pressing us on toward the goal as we all continue on in this journey. Let's stand as we sing praise to our God.